0: Right, so we are finally at the last point of Unit Five. Whew! Unit Five has been a long one, and it is always my preference to focus more on Jesus and how awesome He is than it is to spend time focusing on the evil powers any day of the week. I don't like to give them much time, but it's naive of us. We can't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. We've got to know what we're up against so that we can stand against it properly, but we also need to look to Jesus to understand what the power against the powers gives us power to do and what, so what it means and what it doesn't mean. So we are in unit five of the gospel is the power, which is power against the powers. We are in point G, which is not power for rebellion in the earth or commanding the spirit realm. So this is just some clarity based on the plumb line example that we have in Jesus. Anyone who knows me, if if you've, you know, I say this a lot, but especially people that I disciple The plumb line is Jesus. If they start reading some book that gives them some fancy technique of how they're going to solve all their problems by using Jesus' name to do some spiritual nonsense, I will ask them, did Jesus do that? Give me an example. Did Jesus do that? Did Jesus demonstrate that in any of the Gospels? Do you see Jesus doing that? And if the answer to that is no, okay, that's fine. He's Jesus. He's kind of special, like he's kind of more than special. So let's take us a look at, did the Apostle Paul do that? Did Peter do that? Did, did John do that? Did James do that? Did Jude do that? Is there any New Testament example of someone using the authority that we have in Jesus' name to do whatever it is that you are doing? And if the answer to that question is no, then we should be very suspect— about that technique and whatever it promises to give us. People have gotten themselves into lots of false doctrine with lots of you know hope, you know the the false teachers they prey on the hopes of people. But we've got to keep ourselves with our hope in eternity and our hope exclusively in Jesus. But here's the deal. Even Jesus said, I do only what I see my Father doing. And so I live my life the same way. I do only what I see Jesus doing. If there's a technique, no matter what it promises to do for me in Jesus' name, just because it's in Jesus' name and just because it takes some scriptures and throws them all together, usually in ways that are way out of context, but promises me the world, you know what? But Jesus died to give me the world as a free gift. If Jesus did only what he saw his father doing, then I'm only going to do what I see my Jesus doing. Okay? That's the way I go about it. If you don't like it, that's okay. But this is the plumb line that we have in Scripture. This is how we're supposed to be walking out the Christian life. Jesus you know, he's the example. He is the one that we're following. He went around saying, "Follow me." So let's look at his example of what the power over the powers does does not give us power to do. It does not free us, okay, first and foremost, from the obligation to submit to the governing authorities. So, Jesus, what did he do? He paid Taxes. You know, they tried to trick him because in the time that Jesus was on the earth, you know, there were other um, people around that were either there were several people who claimed to be the Messiah before Jesus showed up on the scene. And then there were also people, there was a lot of political turmoil, and there were the zealots, and there were other groups that were anti-Rome. They didn't want the Roman Empire oppressing them or ruling over them anymore, and so they wanted to refuse to pay taxes. And of course, Rome didn't like that very much, so it caused a problem. Guess what? Jesus didn't cause a problem over that, okay? He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. Whoa. Okay, so this is not, he's not anti Caesar. Okay, his kingdom is about something else altogether, and he's not intimidated by Caesar's authority. So if it's gonna cause offense, yeah, let's pay some taxes to Caesar. No problem. Okay, Jesus' kingdom is not about that. So if you're trying to use Jesus' name or making some argument about how there's an antichrist government in your nation or region or whatever, and you're not going to pay taxes to that, then you are not doing what Jesus did boom. Okay, I have nothing else to say on that. Jesus paid the temple tax. So he did this because Jesus wasn't trying to cause offense over unnecessary issues. He he was trying to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus is the Messiah, and he came to offer forgiveness and salvation until he returns to judge the whole world. So like, get in now, and let's not focus on the temple tax and the fact that he's the Son of God, and because he's the Son of God, he does even have to pay the temple tax because like it's his own house. So why do you have to pay tax to go to your own house? It just doesn't even make any sense. But instead of, you know, toying around and be- being argumentative, which Jesus did not demonstrate, believe me, he argued with Pharisees sometimes, but he- he'd know how to ch- pick his battles, you know? So not- don't give offense, pay your temple tax, okay? Whatever. We don't have the temple tax anymore, but use it. I'm using this as an example of the way that Jesus lived his life. He didn't create issues out of things that were going to distract from the main point. So, and the purpose was to not give offense to people. Jesus, okay, third thing, he allowed the powers of darkness to rule over him. This is where the rubber meets the road in a lot of people's lives. People will start following Jesus and they think, oh yeah, now that God's on my side, everything is going to go great. But you know what? What are the teachings of Jesus? Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. If someone takes your uh, tunic, give them your cloak also. You know, bless your enemies pray for those who persecute you. What? You know, this is the opposite of, I'm the boss now because I have Jesus on my side. This is the opposite of, you know, everything is going to go great for me. No, Jesus, your, your faith in Jesus and whether you're really following him is going to be put to the test. And there are times when you are going to have to humble yourself or allow evil to happen to you and demonstrate that you follow the one who allowed himself to be crucified. Why? Because he trusted that God would raise him from the dead on the third day. Will you be righteous enough to turn the other cheek when someone wrongs you? Will you be the one that you say, you know what? It stops with me. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to avenge myself. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to harbor bitterness or unforgiveness against this person. I'm going to turn the other cheek, even if it means that they keep doing the same thing to me again and again and again. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to walk the way that Jesus walked. I follow a crucified king. And so if they crucify me for following my king, then so be it. Jesus, when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they did it under darkness of night. How ironic is that? And he said, you know what? You couldn't have come and gotten me during the day. I was teaching every day in the temple. But no, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And we talked about that. Darkness reigns. Darkness had authority over Jesus, the King of the world, the Son of God. He allowed darkness to have authority over him. And I'm not talking about casting out demons. This is different than that. If someone is under oppression from a demonic force, we cast those demons demons out, you can take authority over those demons and be free. But when that evil is coming at you from people who are working evil against you because you are standing for Jesus or standing for God, then even unto martyrdom, it might come in your life. Jesus submitted himself even to that, not denying who he was, who he claimed to be, or or that God, just because he believed that that God was going to raise him on the third day, and God did. He was completely vindicated because he did things God's way. So he also acknowledged Pilate's authority over, that that Pilate had authority over him, but that Pilate's authority was only given to him from God. So, you know, Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So it's just so beautiful how Jesus is this living demonstration of, yes, Pilate is in or was in a position of authority in the earthly realm. And Jesus knew that he, as a person, the average Israelite in that day, was under that authority. Yet, at the same time, he was absolutely confident and fully assured that Pilate's authority was not just from Pilate, it was from God. God was the one who was sovereign over this whole thing. And Pilate had no authority to do anything to him that God had not ordained in his life. Life. So that just gives you an idea. Power against the powers does not, should not incite any type of rebellion against the governing authorities in this world. Just because you know that Jesus has redeemed you from the spiritual powers of wickedness, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, doesn't give you authority to rebel against the governing authorities in this world. Okay, so another thing that having power over the powers or power against the powers does not do for us is it does not give us the right to command the spirit realm over our lives or the lives of others in ways that Jesus did not demonstrate. So again, we're using Jesus as the plumb line. Jesus demonstrated his power over the power of sin by living a sinless life okay, hello, it's like this power of sin Power, you know, picture like a muscle man, and the muscle man is sin, and the muscle man is trying to get, you know, the other one, to the its opponent, to bow down to it because it's got these big muscles. Well, Jesus came along, and he never caved to the big muscle man called sin. Jesus showed that he was stronger than sin. He overpowered sin through a sinless life. He never sinned. That's how he demonstrated power over the power of sin. Jesus didn't go around commanding sin. I command you sin in the name of Jesus. Oh, no, he was Jesus. He didn't do that. You know, as as nice and, and authoritative as that might have looked. No, he was just quietly going about living a perfect life, okay? That was his example, and that's what he wants us to do as his followers. We are called to be led by the Holy Spirit into righteous living. Thank if you can get to it, hallelujah, sinless living. That's what the Holy Spirit is is designed to do, to give us victory over sin, power over sin, that we would not sin. Now, listen, friends, I'm not there yet, and I know you're not there yet either. However, it's still what we're called to do, day by day by day. We have a standard. The standard is high. His name is Jesus. Every day I fall short of that standard, but just because I fall short of it, doesn't mean that the standard has been lowered, okay? I wake up every day to new mercies and I set my sights on the standard of Jesus again and again and again. We are called to live a holy and righteous life without sin and the Holy Spirit gives us strength and power from within to do it that way. We are called also to demonstrate the love of Jesus by laying down our lives for one another so that the whole world can come to know him. You know, this is how Jesus demonstrated love. This is how Jesus demonstrated the perfect life and his power over sin. Sin is selfishness. I want to put like an equal sign between sin, selfishness. Selfishness always leads to sin. Sin is usually 999 percent of the time rooted in selfishness. But when we're functioning by the Holy Spirit, we become selfless. We start laying our lives down, whether it's just for God directly or God usually directing us to love someone else, love our brother as ourselves, put someone else ahead of our own needs, humble ourselves, not put ourselves first, put someone else first, always putting God first. You're getting the picture. okay? So here we're going to go into a couple of other things that I might make some enemies by saying this. I'm okay with that. Jesus, his message, okay? Jesus did not come and repent on other people's behalf. If Jesus had had the power to do that, if that were like a real thing, then Jesus could have just shown up, and by age 12, when he could already refute all of the leaders in the temple, he could have just been like, right now, I I repent on behalf of all mankind. And you know what? If that were really a thing, then the whole world would be saved and we'd be in the world to come already. It's not a thing. I know it's taught out there in the church today. It's not real. If you're doing that, repent. It's not, oh, ha, that's kind of ironic. You know, if you're doing that, stop doing that. Jesus proclaimed repentance, but his message demanded that every individual person repented. And that is proven through so many. Many Old Testament and prophetic passages about the work of Messiah. Each individual person needs to repent on their own. I cannot repent for you. You cannot repent for me. I cannot repent for a group of people. It just doesn't work. That if it were that easy, Jesus would have done it that way. Jesus' ministry and message demanded personal repentance in each individual's heart. It also demanded personal faith in each individual's heart, okay? Our message and way of going about it can't be any different than Jesus. Jesus did it best. If we're modifying from the way Jesus did it, we're the ones who are off base, okay? So enough about that. Another thing. Jesus did not pray against or command principalities. He didn't do it. Uh, You might have been taught to do it. I don't know, some fancy book you read. Maybe you got yourself in a big problem and somebody told you you need to start commanding principalities. Whatever. Jesus didn't do it. Jesus didn't command angels. Jesus didn't command strongholds. Jesus didn't command spiritual powers. He did not demonstrate doing things that way. What he demonstrated was that those powers had no power over him. He continued living for God regardless of whatever the principalities were trying to influence him to do. The angels, they attended to Jesus— Angels even attended to the humility of our king, that he allowed angels to attend to him. And just biblically, and we're not going to go into a whole study of angels, but if you look up all of the encounters that people in the Bible have with angels, the people are not telling the angels what to do. Even if they are the representative of God in their day, the angels are telling the people or the angels are serving the people, the angels are telling the people what's going to happen. They are messengers from God, but it is not the people. And even Jesus demonstrated this. Jesus did not command angels. And what, again, is so beautiful, he paid the temple tax even though he didn't have to. He the, Similarly, he could have commanded angels. And when he was headed to the cross, he was like, don't you know that I could, have, I could command 10,000 angels right now? I could command so many angels on my behalf right now, but I'm not going to do that because the will of God has to be done. So Jesus didn't take, even though he had that authority, and yes, if we're seated in the th- third heaven in Christ. Yes, we have that authority, but with the life that Jesus demonstrated, he did not use his authority in that manner, okay? So, back to the principalities. If it were as simple, this is kind of like the repentance thing. If it were as easy as just walking around and commanding principalities, then Jesus would have done it that way. He would have come, you know, maybe he'd have waited to grow up a while, you know, be a man, start his ministry, whatever, and then just go to Jerusalem and be like, Boom! I command the principalities over Jerusalem and, oh yeah, the whole world. Since I'm the Son of God, I have authority and power to do that. So I just command all you principalities, I bind you in my own name because I'm Jesus and you be gone and done. Okay? It sounds kind of silly when I put it that way, but that's what some of you are doing. You know, I attend prayer meetings and I listen to what's said. The people all over the world have been taught that this is a thing. It's not a thing. Jesus didn't do it this way. We need to not do it that way either okay? If it were as simple as commanding principalities, Jesus would have demonstrated it that way. However, it's not. The message is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All the principalities have no power over anyone who has repented and given their life to Jesus and is following the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants us doing, and that's the message he wants us proclaiming. Jesus also did not command strongholds. We're going to talk about strongholds in Unit 7. But he, again, through his perfect life, he proved that all strongholds, which are earthly or worldly dependencies, were false and had no no benefit for him. He did not turn to any other solution other than, what does the scripture say? The name of the Lord is a strong tower, is a stronghold. The righteous run to it and are safe. So Jesus' Jesus wasn't running to any other stronghold, any other protection. Jesus ran only to the Father, only to the name of the Lord, so that he could receive and have everything that he needed. That's the way that he wants us living our lives. And lastly, Jesus did not pronounce blessings upon cities or upon the world. I hear a lot of this going on in prayer meetings. You know, blessing the city, blessing the state, blessing the nation blessing these people here and people there. Jesus actually did not demonstrate that. And we don't have time to get into the whole teaching on it now, but I'm just bringing up the the scriptures are listed there in your study guide. Jesus didn't do it that way. Not only did he not do it that way, what he actually did is the opposite of that. And so I'm sorry, I'm holding the plumb line up here. If that has made me your enemy, I'm totally okay with that. I'm going to go with Jesus. You can, you know, hopefully get yourself aligned with Jesus and the way that he did things. What Jesus actually did after he had gone into cities, worked miracles, signs, and wonders, if they did not repent, he proclaimed curses on them. When Jesus in Luke 10 says, woe to you, Woe to you, woe to you, Chorazin, you know Bethsaida, Capernaum. He says, "Woe to you." He is proclaiming a curse upon them. He is proclaiming their destruction because he says, "Hey, look, if I'd been in this city or that city, they would have repented. The people of Nineveh are going to testify against you because they repented and you haven't. The miracles and wonders that you have seen and you still haven't repented." So woe to you. And those cities, by the way, this is like Jesus really is God. If you go to those cities or if you try to find them, the ones that Jesus pronounced curses on, they don't exist anymore. There is nothing but ruins there. When the son of God pronounces a curse on it, the place is going down. Okay. So, but again, it's the example. It's the opposite of he didn't go to a city do miracles, signs and wonders, proclaim the gospel. And, you know, after he's proclaimed the gospel, they don't believe, they don't repent. And then he goes back to his prayer closet. He didn't say, goes back to his prayer closet and say, oh, bless them. We just need to pray some more. We just need to intercede some more. Put poor blessings on them, blessings on them, blessings on them. That's not what Jesus demonstrated. I'm sorry. Now, what that does as the body of believers. That means that we've got to go into places. First of all, you got to go. Okay, that's a good start. Secondly, when you go, you've got to have the right message. You've got to tell people the pure gospel. Okay, that's another thing. Second, Thirdly, we also should be going, like Jesus went, with signs and wonders. we got to give people something that they will give account for, a message and a power of God that they cannot refute, that if they don't repent when they have had, first of all, a messenger from God come to them, second of all, a pure gospel proclaimed, and third of all, a Gospel confirmed by supernatural signs and wonders, and they don't repent for that, then whatever is coming to them, they've got it coming to them. They are without excuse because God has demonstrated His mercy, His grace, His love, and His power to them. Okay, do you start to see how this is so different from some of the things that have been taught in the body of Christ today? Okay, so Jesus also pronounced a curse or woe. He said, Woe to the world for causes of sin. Again, depending. Depending on your translation, for causes of sin. So the whole world, guess what? We've talked about this. This isn't a shock. The whole world is going to be destroyed. Duh. So for Jesus to command a curse on the whole world, guess what's going to happen to the whole world? it's going to be destroyed. And so, but what is coming? Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, the whole world will be destroyed, but he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be a new people, a new world that will dwell with God and God will dwell with us. But this world, for all its causes of sin and evil and wickedness, has a curse pronounced on it by the Son of God. So he wasn't there praying for blessing for the whole world. No, he laid down his life so that the whole world could be saved. And we need to live our lives in the same way. Jesus even, just to show his heart, he wept over Jerusalem. Okay, he wasn't praying for Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He wasn't exhausting himself with spiritual machinations trying to get people to change through dramatic intercession or prayer techniques. No, as he was going to Jerusalem to lay his life down. As the Savior of the world, as the messenger of God, proclaiming the pure message of God, he wept over Jerusalem for their inability to recognize him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, right? This was the heart of God. But in spite of the fact that it was the heart of God that Jerusalem would repent, that it was the will of God, it is still the will of God for Jerusalem to repent we can pray confidently that it is God's will. I'm not against prayer. I'm against stupid prayer techniques that are not what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus wept in his heart over Jerusalem, and he continued in the work of God as he was led by the Holy Spirit to lay his life down to help God be known to the people.